Welcome to the Founders Foyer with me, Ashwarya. This foyer is full of conversations. The space where creators, founders, and builders can look for all the support and concepts to grow their ideas into products. Building products is such a fun journey, especially if users are involved early on and it feels like you're co-creating with them all the way through. But there's also racing against all the advancements in technology thanks to AI's hypergrowth every single day. So how do you balance this ride and the race? And you know, when do you know it's time to take a dive or a turn? And how do you just account for the change of markets? We'll be chatting all about that because I've got my favorite product person here with me, Yana Valinder. Yana is the founder and CEO of Craftful, an AI co-pilot that helps teams build better products by listening to user feedback. A YC alum and a Stanford fellow, she formerly led product teams at IFTTT, Carbon and Wikimedia Foundation. Yana loves backing up founders and she currently runs Shane AI Founders Community and she also invests into promising ideas via Pioneer Fund. A true zero to one person and an amazing friend that I've got in the product community. Hi, Yana. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Really, really excited to chat. Awesome. So, Yana, it's so wonderful to draw a pattern from tech and policies and law to now product management and entrepreneurship. So talk to us about what brought you into this tech journey. Yeah, absolutely. So my my path uh, into product and tech uh, wasn't really um, straightforward. So I guess kind of step, stepping back. So I grew up in, in, in Sweden um, and um, ended up going to college in London and then uh, living in, in in Dublin, Ireland for, for a while and working there. And then ultimately coming out to the U.S. for grad school. But I, most of my early career was was in law, as, as, as you mentioned. And so I spent a few years practicing law, mostly in, in tech law, and then ultimately discovered that actually mm-hmm. I'm I have a kind of a very different approach to law. And in my view on law was really that I wanted to kind of reshape, reshape law, rethink how it works. And so I went back to school. I got my third law degree. I got a LLM from from Harvard. And but now sort of in the in the in the age of large language models, LLMs <laughs> something very different. <laughs> I was just getting that. I'm like, but the LLMs that we know of now is a very different term in the dictionary. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It is a it's a it's a master's degree in law, which is sort of interesting in in law because I already had a doctorate degree. So after that, I got this master's degree, but it was an academic uh, degree, which, mm-hmm. which then allowed me to go into academia. So after that, I did a really a sh- kind of short stint in academia. I was a visiting assistant professor, and I got to do some of the early thinking around policy mm. in the AI space and specifically computer vision. So I published some of the earliest pieces on uh, computer vision and, and um, uh, AI policy implications in mm. um, the Harvard Journal of Law and Technology. I, I did a, a, a chapter uh, on the same topic in Cambridge um, Handbook of Consumer Privacy. But ultimately, my my most of my research then ended up focusing on how to, you know, how to do, how to regulate technology, not through law, but through norms and technical uh, restrictions. And and specifically, I was thinking about, is there ways we can replace all of the small prints that exist mm. online 
um, a user experience that sets expectations around what's going to happen so that users can experience what's going to happen uh, in the product through the product itself and never have to read the small print which I think you know if we <laughs> can, can every, everyone sort of acknowledges that most people <laughs> ultimately do not read. True. Uh, and then, and, and then that's kind of, I got to apply some of that research uh, at, at the Wikimedia Foundation and ultimately brought me into product. And that's when I had this realization that I'm much more interested in actually building mm. products to shape and change the world than, than, than doing mm. it through law. And, and that's, that's how I got here. And then, and then I <laughs> spent lots of years in B2B, B2B, B2C, and, you know, B2C doing various types of products and and now I'm here I'm building building a product. <laughs> yeah no absolutely and when you said it's a very unconventional road to tech I, I can only like imagine what kind of twists and turns it had and for me it's so much heartening to listen to these kind of stories where you, you generally don't start with tech but then there are like multiple paths that just bring you into tech naturally and there's so much of relativity with, uh, you know, especially I know we've had chats in the past where we discussed about uh, designing policies that just helps people have a kind of an inclusive user experience. And that's what I think also brought you to build Craftful in the first place. So it's amazing that where it started to where it is now, there's so much of, you know, connectivity in terms of helping users use the best parts of the product and whether that's through law helping you know design policies or whether it's through directly building out these experiences i think ultimately it's it's just making enjoyable experiences for users so i'm glad you're you're building craftful for pms like me and like a bunch of others in the community yeah absolutely i think you know we we as as, as you mentioned we started in a somewhat different place uh, it was always a product for product managers mm -hmm. but Originally, it was specifically a product for IoT product managers, and we built out kind of the first standardized user experience, then with analytics, and ultimately started mm -hmm. using large language models to, to help analyze mm -hmm. user feedback. And I think that that was sort of a really interesting piece to see as we started getting pulled for, at that point, it was sort of just like one feature in, in our big product. Right. We started getting market pull for that from yeah. from the broader product community, uh, and and it was just kind of interesting to see how that can happen in a much more sort of organic way, which is which is something that I that that I was really uh, excited to then okay let's double down and, and build out this product and make sure that it really solves all of the different problems <laughs> that I had as a product manager. Yeah, no, such an important point. And I think as PMs, there's so much focus. And I think it's always like a Bible point that folks say about, okay, listen to what your market is saying, listen to what users are saying, and then like, you know, use that as a way to align your direction. And in fact, that's something that, you know, having followed Craftful, Craftful's journey from the beginning, I think I have this question to you about, there are many internal and external factors that influence the path to building a product. And it's, it's very crucial, especially if you're in the early stage and especially in, in your case where you had turned from a completely IoT-based market to AI's GPT. And what moments and signals did you notice that made you think that, hey, it's the right time to pivot? And, you know, how did you get this all together? Yeah. So I think there are like two two things in particular that really 
Mimi uh, made me ultimately kind of focus on this mm. this particular product. One one had to do with kind of just like the the how the technology evolved. So when I started observing that large language models got good good enough at text summarization. And the second was around kind of that market pool when when we started seeing that the broader PM community were um, interested in the solution, which really just mm. reminded me of all the all the pain points that I had had as a PM in various roles, not just in IoT, but specifically around kind of the technology evolution. So when I first experimented with large language models, sort of in early uh, 2020, um, and mm. it's really the very, like what we do today, which is summarize lots and lots of user feedback with, uh, with large language models, that's the first use case that I applied LLMs to when I kind of just started tinkering. And my conclusion was that, you know, this technology is amazing at generating text, but it's mm. just not, it's just not great at summarization quite yet. There's, mm. there's some, some things that could be, you know, there's, I just didn't feel like this, this is actually some, a product that I would, I would use as a PM myself if I, if mm. I, if I use so I didn't, I built the first prototype uh, back in early 2020. I decided that, okay, actually this is, technology isn't there yet. Let me, let mm. me wait. And I kept checking in. And so around 2021 was actually some, somewhere before then uh, when I discovered now it's getting good enough where if you massage the models in these ways, <laughs> you can get some, some valuable stuff out of it. So we, yeah. we launched in our product just as a feature Mm. in uh, 21. Back then it was still a very small piece and it wasn't until like Da Vinci 3 launched in the fall of 2022 like last fall yeah. essentially that I was that I realized that actually now now's the time now now mm. the now models are getting powerful enough to solve this problem in a really meaningful mm. way. We actually architected even that feature that ended up being kind of the, what Craftful is today, it doesn't share any code with what that original feature was because it's just a very, very different solution now because because of how powerful <laughs> the, the new models are compared to what, what it used to be. Yeah. And I'm actually glad that you kind of did the, you know, the experimental way to understand if it really sticks with people. And that's that's very important because I think when the product is already serving a certain market and you have actual users, there are times that we think, oh my God, I think the product could actually do something else. But when there are, when there are users, it's important to also take their needs into consideration. And I, I think I'm very curious in this part. Did you did you kind of have this uh, fear that, oh, what would users say? Or let's say I'm just going to pivot the product now. So how would they react? Was that a thing that you always yeah. had in mind? Or you know, how, as a founder, what did you really feel about this whole uh, scenario just unraveling in front of you? Yeah, absolutely. I had I had lots of lots of hesitation around it. So one thing I did was a lot like when we when I started getting this this sense of just market pull towards this one feature, I did I did some stuff to validate that from mm. outside of the folks that we were demoing it to because I have this I always have this sense that if you demo a product to users, there's you know they they may tell you the right things. But mm -hmm. it may also be biased. And so I tried to get a sense for would people be interested in this outside of our actual user base? 
Mm -hmm. And so I, around that time I went to, I don't, I rarely go to conferences. I feel like it's usually a waste of time for founders, <laughs> but, but I did, I did go just, uh, just around Quite that controversial. <laughs> yeah, it's quite controversial. <laughs> I'm just, I'm very, I'm very like building focused. So unless I'm sort of like, unless there's going to be a ton of people in the audience who are my likely users, I'm not mm. like, I'm just going to be like, what's, what's the biggest impact? Probably building. But in this particular case, I went to, to a couple of conferences. I went specifically around that time. I went to the masters of skill summit. And so that was, mm. there were a lot it was the like by invitation only so it was just founders and there were like some a handful of product leaders there and i uh i pitched i i kind of i didn't pitch but i introduced myself as mm. yana founder of craftful and the tagline for craftful was sort of what craftful does today as opposed to what it did back then mm. and 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 i didn't really pitch it in any sort of like specific sense I just waited to hear what sort of feedback will I get from people? And what I heard right. back was kind of just like, you know, people telling me about their pain points. So they'd be like, oh, you know, our CS team, they will just like push their agenda when they're summarizing user feedback. And it's never the things like the features that actually would be helpful to build. It's really what will like mm. easier for them to respond to customer complaints or, you know, mm. we like the PM team has been trying to get at the user feedback, but they're not getting access to the, you know, our Zendesk account, so they can never really listen. Like they're like all of these specific, very specific like use pain points that came through kind of organically in those conversations. Mm. And I had, there was like, I think the TechCrunch conference was happening at this, like literally that same week. And so there were like a handful, one. Of, <laughs> handful of events where I could just, just do this. And so I had maybe like, I don't know, like 30 or 40 mm. conversations that were kind of like that. And that was sort of like the, for me, the validation, okay, this, right. this is a thing. we can, we can focus on it. But then I still was worried about kind of to your point, what are my existing users going to do when I, when I turn off this product? And so I, I, I dreaded that for mm. like, like, and then when I, I wrote the I wrote the email to users. I sat on that email for a very long time. I ran it through ChatGPT many times over and over. Again. <laughs> and I like, there's a better way I can do this. Uh, <laughs> and then I ultimately sent out hit send, sent out the email, and the responses from our existing users were amazing. Like people were just excited about what we were building, wanted to try out mm. the new product. And, and I, I don't know, I was very, very nervous about that because our previous product did have a major integrations component to it. Yeah. So it just required a lot of work to, to get up and running, but, but yeah, users, our <laughs> users ended up being very, very supportive. And so that was great. I think the, the piece that I learned from that is that it's really important mm. to have a user community around your product. For and sure. Your users aren't just users, but they feel like they're part of the community where they're mm. kind of like behind this company because they believe in this company's mission and mm. they they like how the company is run. I think they're going to be much more open to, you know, products being sunset and trying out the new product that's sort of essentially solving it's it's on the same mission, but still is still means that the work that they put in is yeah they can leverage. Yeah. 
uh, I think you just summarized what I was, you know, just going to say in terms of how having an early believer community just taking part in your vision and trying to just stay on and give you the, the the kind of candid feedback it's it's so much necessary especially if you're building zero to one and just testing out these ideas uh they just you know are the sounding board you need to uh kind of like just put these ideas out and then see if it really sticks and such is the power and i think a lot of people confuse building a community with sort of like thinking that oh the you know just increasing the number of people in the community is the only goal but having that quality community in terms of people who are willing to extend hand and people who would love to you know sit down with you and help you chart that feedback it's it's so much necessary and i i think it's very evident in craftsful case where you just had this whole thing happening and uh, oh my god i love that exercise i think to me it sounded more like an exercise that you did with these conferences it brought me back to one of the things that Ariel Jackson, who is the marketer in residence at First Round Capital, she was on the show a couple of episodes before, and then we chatted about this concept called the bar test, which is kind of like a fancy, cool way for you to sit down at the bar and like just start this conversation around your product brand and say, "Hey, did you know, get to know about this brand? A, you know, it does this," and then you stop there and then expect the other person to fill in the gap and say, "Oh, that's a cool product, and I, I, I know this is how you do it," and then just keep continuing the conversation and sort of like take it in a very casual way so you get to know what other people talk about your brand. And I think here what you said just sounds exactly similar, but more in a PM way where you just stop with the tagline or you like you know you just say, "Hey, I'm doing." AI co-pilot for PMs and then you stop there and then there's like so much of feedback and so much of pain points that people will discuss with you and that that's like a super cool experiment like I'm so pumped up to try it like the next time I, I'm at a conference or I'm actually talking to a bunch of founders and PM folks so for everybody who's listening I think this is a very fancy cool way to just test it out with your friends and their community folks. Yeah, it's it's very similar to sort of like the online, I guess, the, the online equivalent of like the landing page test, except yes. you have no way of actually knowing why someone went to your landing page. So if you can be there, <laughs> if you can be the landing page in front of a person and, and see what yeah. they will tell you and what emotion they will like communicate to you when, when, when they're telling you about their pain point, right? Like it'd be something that's like yeah. fairly shallow, or will they be like very passionate about this oh my god I need this and here's why you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know it's it's like a life graph that you can just plot through say hi I think this person was really passionate when they actually asked for this feature and then like you know you kind of like root it back so uh, absolutely and now I think in these contexts talking to people in person through these events really would you know add value but totally otherwise with you on the building focused stuff because I think that's where the whole root of what you do lies. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for yeah. to try it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now that you're talking about, you know, getting feedback from people, I know you do something, I would even call this the Yana exercise because it's so cool to see the way you're initiating social chats around product practices, product management questions and all of that on Twitter. It's like you just wake up and then you see Yana Sweet. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to go and put my response there and meet fellow people there. And it's it's like, it just builds a whole new world of conversations. So what made you start this social chat kind of a thing for PMs and are you excited to see how it's turning out every single day? Yeah. So I I think that was sort of a realization, a completely unrelated realization, is just that the more our brand for me through mm. like our brand for me is visible <laughs> on, on Twitter, the more users we get. Because mm. like 
to the point of the kind of the previous because because everyone we're just he hearing the tagline know that they have the pain point and it's mm -hmm. just like it's such an obvious pain that the only thing we need to do is to be very visible and so the way the way I first saw that had nothing to do with my products like PM questions or really, really anything that I do on Twitter I tweeted about non-alcoholic beer which I am passionate about <laughs> <laughs> And <laughs> because I love beer, I hate alcohol. And in in a bunch of people who also like non-alcoholic beer and had also been following like the new types of new alcoholic non-alcoholic beers that started popping up, particularly kind of like in California and in Canada mm. around around that time and in Colorado, I guess started responding to, to to the thread and like recommending their beer and, and we saw and this is like this is before we had launched this this version of craftful and beta we were sort of like we were kind of like still be launched in alpha like you could sign up but we didn't talk mm -hmm. about it um, what we noticed was a bunch of people signed up and so we realized that the reason they signed <laughs> up was they engaged with my non-alcoholic beer tweets and then they <laughs> looked at my profile and saw that I worked at Craftful and they went to see what Craftful does. They saw the tagline and they had the pain point and so they signed up. So we were like, okay, clearly, <laughs> clearly all we need to do is to talk about, we don't need to like, like the organic way of getting, getting attention is not to necessarily like promote Craftful per se, but to yeah. talk about things people care about. So what do, what do our users care about? They care about product management practices because they're mm. product managers, right? And so that that was sort of like how how do I create a space for people to talk about the things they're interested in, and and do it in an organic way, which obviously is a very organic thing for me to do because <laughs> I am interested in it too. So it's sort of like how you know what sort of conversations would I be interested in having on Twitter? Yeah, can I be the person crafting those, right? Mm. So then so then I started doing that. Now they're sort of like. It's a whole mechanism we like I write, I usually write uh, my tweets on Sunday nights when I'm the most rested <laughs> and, and then they go out on a daily basis, but I don't actually use write them that morning unless there's something timely and then I will like interrupt the flow and, and, and yeah, but, but yeah. generally speaking, people have asked a lot, like, is this like, how do you do this? Like, what's the, this is a lot of, Sandra, how do you have time? Well, I do, I actually do time for it. It's like a whole whole Sunday afternoon of crafting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, months. now we got a peek into your schedule. You're like, yeah, Yana spent Sunday evening crafting all of these tweets. So it's it's actually timed and it's actually like given the right mind space to think about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I tried to think about like, when would I, when would I care about this kind of stuff? Like some mm. things I would care about specifically on a Monday morning, some things I would care about like on hump day, you know, <laughs> like in my, in my product journey, when would I have cared about certain topics? Like when would I have done certain things? When would I have done like deep dive yeah. uh, work versus like kind of more like just mm. trying to keep up with meetings, mm. and, you know, that kind of stuff. So I think <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to make sure that everything everything is still timely for people, even though yeah. it is written on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think you made a wonderful statement about uh, the whole, what do my users care about? Because it's not just from a social engagement front, but I think the very core purpose of building the product out is always to understand why, why does my user engage with this product and like, what do they really want from it? And I think that's very reflective. And just as you say, I'm going back to like the number of times that I've engaged with the tweet and 
I've also like had so many mutual benefits from reading what other fellow PMs have tweeted about and that. And it's like, I just get a free pass into understanding, oh, that's nice. Like somebody shares the same opinion as I do. Or there's like this whole, oh, I, I never thought about it from that angle. And it's kind of nice to, you know, see uh, another PM talk about it. So I think at the end of the day, it builds that healthy conversation. And the whole community thing that we're talking about, it, it builds this whole engagement community and I think it's it's very fascinating in that sense and wow when the whole world is thinking about meme marketing meet Yana who's going to like talk to you about non-alcoholic beer marketing <laughs> and I'm so fascinated like how that kind of like just kicked off and it's, it's a very interesting way it, it reminds me of how people initially used TikTok as a way like all these SaaS companies used to go and say, if you thought TikTok was just for like fancy, funny videos, then you're thinking it wrong. And people started posting product demos and ways to like figure out uh, their engagement on TikTok. So I think it can, kind of takes me back and reminds me of if you find a very unique way to get people to notice what you're doing, I think then like nothing could stop you. So non-alcoholic beer it is. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, we should see uh people record videos of Graffle and share them in various channels and and so we've kind of seen like there was there was one day when a bunch of people signed up in Brazil and we were sort of like what is happening like we're off the hook and so <laughs> and so we kind of searched and discovered that this this one influencer in Brazil just did a a demo of Graffle shared oh, so cool and, and a bunch of people signed up and so like I think we <laughs> That that comes from just having an authentic community, right? Like people people who are just engaging in conversations and knowing that we're mm. like people building the product. They're like they they really care about it, and so like I think our 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 community are excited to then go and share it with their community, mm. right? So that, that, that's kind of yeah, what I, I'm really excited. Very about. organic, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's the best form of feedback any any founder and any PM could get is seeing your users happily share. I know something that they enjoyed in the product and like bringing in through word of mouth. And I think that's the best form of engaging with the community for sure. Yeah. 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 And and this is sort of like this, the new age, right? Like how, mm-hmm. how, things, <laughs> how things just organically happen, which is really, really exciting, exciting time to, yeah. to, to yeah. PM, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, certainly I, I agree with you there. Uh, so uh, like we're talking about the way that we're engaging with people and, this whole time where you wrote to the current users and you were so relieved to hear back from them that, hey, we're with you on this journey. But there's also like the other side to think about in the sense that there's always evolving customer needs. So I have this question on how often should PMs and uh, especially founder turned PMs like you should look up at product strategy and constantly like revisit this? Because I feel like the rate at which we are building these days is no longer going by the playbook, but it's like rewriting the complete playbook. And at times, it's not even a play or a book. It's just like trying to just go with the whole flow. So what would you suggest doing when the markets are just going berserk and you're like, hey, like this is what we have to do when when this is happening? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very, we are in this uh, time where there's really never been anything anything equivalent to this. I think people people are talking about this being equivalent to like when the web was introduced or like things were going mm. online or when like with mobile phones and things going mobile first. And I think that the one distinguishing 
difference between that time and what we're seeing right now is that every one of those changes required people to procure some hardware to be able to actually benefit from from the change and so people you know people had to go and get an iphone and ultimately get an android phone mm. uh, before that had to True. be able to get online now we have this ai change and obviously the technology is changing at, at a fast pace and it's going to continue changing at mm. a much faster pace just because the technology is amplifying itself right so like the ai is getting more powerful then the ai is going to make the ai and you know like that's going to move even faster <laughs> So there's that. But then on the other side is kind of the human adoption of the technology. And the difference there is that with like, specifically looking at ChatGPT was sort of like the, the big change where like lots of people were, were using GPT-3 powered products mm. before. But I think the really big change was when everyone started using ChatGPT over just like the first month. Yeah. And, and that was just like, a, it was a free... Uh, web products that you could just mm. sign up and start using mm. right so it was just like so different from any one big technological change that had previously happened and it was available in you know 100 plus yeah. languages everyone could talk to it there was no barrier young people could do it old people could do it people could do mm. it in, in their own language at their own time <laughs> it was no localization was needed right so it's just like suddenly this complete rapid change in how people interacted with the world and thought about the world. And so now all of these individuals who previously would have taken some time to become mobile first, now they've mm. become AI first in almost instantly. My point with this is that there's the, the technology is changing re really rapidly. The human behavior is changing really rapidly. And as a result, as a product builder, you kind of need to you need to revisit your assumptions constantly. Mm. I do think that like, if you have a vision in mind for your product, that vision probably mm. conceptually will stay true through all of those changes. Like for us, it's kind of like, you know, the co-pilot for product yeah. builders and build better products. That's going to be the case for as long as there's product builders building products, right? Yeah, you know, maybe even super intelligence there isn't, but, <laughs> but until we yeah. get to that point, that's going to be still the truth, but what the what the physical form of our product, like what what the look and feel of our product is going to be, will very much mm. depend on how people interact with AI over time, and that could be very different in, you know, like a year from now, but even in just like six months from now, it could be that mm. actually everyone interacts with their tools through ChatGPT and everything's a plugin, right? Uh, for example, yeah, it doesn't have. To we do have a plugin for that reason, um, but, the, but it could also <laughs> just be um, something very different, right? Like it could be kind of more of a per type experience where you're interacting with various agents that are doing things on your behalf. And so I think as a as a product manager, you have to, uh, as a product manager or entrepreneur, you have to revisit what is my product in this world today when people are mm. interacting with in this way what should my mm. product do and then and then similarly revisit it probably you know on a weekly or monthly basis and see are my assumptions still correct is it moving in a different direction mm. it just means that you end up building in a slightly different way I think it, it means that you have mm. to build everything a little bit more rapid iteration of course but also <laughs> doing everything yeah. kind of more, more in an MVP way be heavily 
focused on sort of more API mm. where you're looking at actual user experience a little bit more open-ended mm. where you can change mm. the user experience faster uh, but mm. but the core of the product is sort of there so I think there's yeah. just like some ways to adjust for this new reality where mm. both kind of behavior and, and technology is changing rapidly mm. I think when you do that it also tells you what not to focus on in the sense that you decide that hey if this is going to uh, take so much time or it's 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 just that it's not aligned with the market that we're solving for then I think revisiting also gives sometimes the clarity to say no to a few things and then just focus on the very few things that could have been put on the back seat before but now it's forward because you decided that this is no longer you know staying in the same line that you want to focus on so I think that is also something that could come out as new learnings for product builders and the the fact that you were talking about the time frame is is so true because back then when we always had to talk about oh this is when you know floppy disks went went as cds or this is when we had this whole dot-com bubble happening through and all of these is like a certain time frame and like a certain month or a year that we go can go and quote but when it comes to this whole ai thing that we are in it's the fact that if ai could have been there for two decades but still a kid or a, or even my grandma could actually talk about ai now it's the fact that it's just become so much of a user experience because for for times to believe, I think AI was always considered as a thing that, oh, I think the, if you want to go into research, then you sit in labs and you work on AI stuff. You just sit with computers and machines and then you work on AI stuff. But then now it's like, okay, I can, I think whatever I'm using in the web is AI. Like if I can just use AI to summarize stuff or if I can just use to generate new text, it is AI. And I think people are just coping up with the, the whole fact that anything that you can generate and it's just at a, you know, a stone's throw away in terms of like getting whatever you want and all of this is with AI just makes them feel so powered in the sense that oh it's no longer the people with the machines that will have to play around with AI but then I can do it and you can do it and like everybody keeps talking about it so I'm I, I was actually very happy to see the whole user experience part play out with what ChatGPT did because there was this point in time that everybody was talking about ChatGPT and it was not because it was just AI powered it's because it was so accessible for people and it was just like a you know, thing that people could take and immediately use. So that the, the comparing this with this whole time frame thing, I feel that now every month there's a new thing to catch up with. There are like new learnings to go through. So there's no longer like a singular time frame that we can talk about. If let's say a decade from now, people would say like, hey, we have this whole AI shift that was happening in product space. I'm pretty sure they're not going to go and talk about the time LLMs were just so popular, let's say in 2018-19 or the time that GPT was like just started through. But I think this whole decade is just going to be like a time of just rapid, you know, newer findings and newer stuff coming through. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, like it's going to be like when you zoom out, what is it, what, what is it going to look like, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. What was the, what was the big <laughs> shift? in in essentially human human amplification right with, yeah. with AI. yeah yeah no that's that's you know very apt on and uh, i think it's it's just uh for me it always feels like we're just getting started through and with every time you think how ai could just uh intertwine with uh product stuff or with art and with so many other streams i think the possibility is only very exciting and there's also this whole different school of thought you know where 
people always say that oh you know ai is just going to like replace work and people and then it's just going to take jobs away but i also see that beyond all of this different schools of thoughts as somebody who's working with ai every day is there something that you think would grow out to be bigger as tech advances let's say a decade from now or like a couple of years from now something that you think is very uh, less evident but could actually play out to be great in the upcoming times yeah i mean i think i think it really de- depends on the like the lens through which you're looking looking at this mm-hmm. this um and so specifically from a product lens right like i think mm-hmm. uh, for the, the the product builder experience i do think that's the 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 really exciting pieces that is really going to amplify product managers in, in product builders but i think the really the the other aspect of it is that kind of as a as a counter example to you know ai replacing humans because i think in that mm. in the product building space it will re- replace a lot of human labor but what it actually mm. will do is is create lots of opportunities for product builders which i'm really excited by and, mm. and i think what it is is that when when you can create a company that's that's partially powered with with ai in certain ways right like you, you you don't need to hire for all the different roles that you have but you you can you can use ai for a lot of different aspects you can create a much leaner company mm-hmm. and as a result it sends it ends up being much less capital intensive what that means is that you don't necessarily need to pitch it to investors the same way you previously had to and that means that like in but that doesn't mean that it's not going to be like a venture scale business eventually it can still be a venture mm-hmm. scale business but it doesn't need to look like a venture scale business at the time when you're starting it so suddenly all of these ideas for problems that need to be solved in the world can like entrepreneurs can go and start solving those problems with much less capital because they don't need mm-hmm. to go like to persuade investors to come on on that journey so i think we'll what will what will end up kind of the, the 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 ultimate outcome of this is that we'll end up having a bunch of venture scale businesses that aren't necessarily mm. venture backed or not as much venture backed and as a result we'll end up having many many more businesses um and at mm-hmm. the core of those businesses you still need to have product builders and humans um there you'll need much less of them but there's going to be just so many more businesses solving lots and lots of problems. Like just like, you know, everything that's previously has been thought of like the fringe of minority problems, like products mm. for minorities, wink, wink, <laughs> not actually minorities, right? It's half the population. Yeah. But, but like, it, 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 like there's just so many pain points that still have not been addressed mm. because, because it's been hard to get funding mm. for, for those mm. ideas. But there's still big mm. idea with big, big market opportunities, and and entrepreneurs will go after those ideas now, and they will mm. be able to build smaller companies by in terms of how many people work at those companies. But there's going to be so many more companies to go and work at for product builders mm. and, and do more exciting work because ultimately a lot of kind of the tedious work will be automated and yeah. And, will be able to kind of be much more strategic so i think that's kind of what we will see in terms of what mm. kind of our profession how that's going to change 
Yeah, that's a very interesting observation. And uh, I, I think if I have to equate it with uh, this whole example, when no code and when this whole factor about microsas came through, I think it just democratized a lot of people to just believe in the fact that when they have good ideas, the MVPs are just getting that idea out was much simpler because you now had blocks and um, uh, easy ways to just assemble and sort of like build the stuff that you wanted and see if it's really sticking out with the audience. And I think like you just mentioned, the same thing goes with AI because it opens up newer markets and it also like gives you suddenly this, this whole path towards, oh, I didn't have solution to this prior, but now I feel like there's some sort of a way that I can go through and I, I can like, you know, just envision this whole thing from what you said in terms of some of them can be venture back, some of them can be bootstrap. But I think at, at the end of the day, it just puts so many people back at the helm of building stuff out. And and, and I, I love how this whole, are you a PM? Are you a PMM? All of this just like blurs into, are you a product builder at heart? Like, are you somebody who really loves turning ideas into reality? And are you somebody who, who would, you know, want to, believe in the purpose of building it out and and just have uh, to work with the audience and get uh, uh, things shipped so i think just boils down to that and whatever name you want to give to those roles it's it's absolutely fine i think we already just rode the whole wave of airbnb saying no pms yes pms so i think the whole role and everything aside i just feel that everybody becomes builders at heart and it's just so exciting to think about the fact that there'll be newer products and newer markets and yeah that that part is definitely exciting i think i think the 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 airbnb example is a particularly interesting one because it's sort of like with brian chesky saying you know we did away with the product manager function now product managers are at the same level as designers and and they're now product marketers so clearly like you know he had this whole vision of like how how in in the really big way in which it changed and then mm -hmm. i think Lenny was sharing on, on, on Twitter that actually like we changed titles from product manager to product marketers. So we got to do some more product marketing roles, but we mm. didn't do anything less. Like we didn't actually give mm. away anything online, but sort of like the implied between the lines. And the interesting thing I think in, in all of that is how like there's this, when you have these giant companies, there's the, the intent at the top, Brian's intent, and then what actually happens on, on, on the ground <laughs> different. And, and so like, ultimately nothing changed, right? And that, in that context, nothing really seemed to have changed. Yeah. But, but now there's this rapid change that's happening with, with new startups that are actually like reinventing product management from the ground up. And that mm -hmm. there you actually have this kind of, as, as you're saying, like, it doesn't matter. It's a product manager, it's a product marketing, marketing manager. Like it's a product builder that will do lots of things to make things happen to make products happen yeah and so like so these like big companies are trying to make shifts may or may not mm. actually be doing it but actually like <laughs> side by side with that this whole change of like yeah. the profession is just being changed from the ground up and, and that's happening really rapidly so that's i think that's that, that's a really interesting kind of like place yeah. and time where where there's just a lot of change happening
Yeah, yeah. No, I think this whole parallel take in terms of uh, companies trying to uh, go through this wave and then there's also like newer teams and newer startups coming through. Uh, it's it's only, uh, uh, you know, it, we'll have to probably wait it out and see because uh, I think the possibility and potential that it can get through is, is great. And how many of us would be able to see the other side and like what kind of learnings we pick up from this is, is what would make the whole uh, journey fun. So... I'm more excited to see how things uh, go by in that pace. Yeah, me too. Me too. I'm really, really, really <laughs> excited to be able to like tell the story after the fact to see like what. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think that's the better way out because I think you, you live the experience and then you sort of like pass it on and like, you know, get this whole community to understand what you've been through. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Really, really so exciting. yeah. Yeah. No, for me, when I'm talking about community, I really have to touch upon the Gen AI founder community that you've been working on because I think we're all navigating this whole LLM space and there's so much uncertainty. I think we talk about tokens, embeddings, context windows, and all of this are from the model's perspective. So apart from that, there's also like a lot to know as a new founder. And now we are talking about product builders who could be from the tech background or who's you know, not from a tech background, but somebody who's passionate about solving for a space. I think it's important to have this close-knit group to be able to share knowledge, learnings, and challenges. So what have you been doing up with GenAI founder community? And you know, could you tell us more about that, who are all a part of it, and what's really happening in it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think like uh, we started it, I'm trying to remember, I think it was sort of like in March or April. And really... Uh, Emilia Lynn and I looked around and we're like, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of gen AI communities popping up, but none of them are sort of like addressing us, our needs as, as founders specifically, because a lot of the discussion there is, it's kind of like a lot of tinkering with, with gen AI, which, you know, we, we've done too, but now we're building products and, and that's, and, and so we have a specific set of things that we would like to discuss with Gen AI founders. And it's around specifically, how do I build a product? How do I scale that Gen AI product? Mm. And then how do I pitch this Gen AI product to, to investors? Because that's a whole different, actually a whole different problem to solve because AI investors are used to being pitched more traditional AI products. And so they have these mm. like questions that don't actually work with how Gen AI technology works. Um, so the, the so, so that was sort of like the kind of the problem space. And, and I ended up kind of just like tweeting a invitation for folks to like sign up to see how, you know, it's similar to like my, my <laughs> usual like validation techniques, like will yeah. people be interested? I, I tweeted, I tweeted about it. And within like 24 hours, we had like over a hundred, uh, hundred applicants sign up founders from from various I mean a lot of a lot of them were YC founders because I think you mm. know that's coming through the YC community also but but also just generally and so then like within a couple of days we had hundreds hundreds of folks signing signing up for this and we launched we launched the community maybe like a like a, a few days after a few a few days after that initial tweet and the really interesting thing was and we sent out invites to 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 folks who had signed up. And we're sort of like you know mm-hmm. very specific about this. You know this needs to be a founder 
and it needs to be someone building with GNAI. We had lots of other folks sign up who were neither, <laughs> neither one or the other. <laughs> um, and we have to be kind of a little bit more picky about to make sure that we get that quality discussion from people that are specifically in that problem space, because otherwise you kind of end mm. up having conversations going yeah. on. Yeah, gets digressed. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and one thing was kind of just like how passionate that community has been. There's hmm. now every day, it's a Slack uh, group. I wake up to just like lots of, because it is a global community. So there's lots of discussion happening already by the time, by the time West Coast wakes up. And, <laughs> uh, and it's just like, you know, it, with every change now that Llama 2 launched this week, yeah, um, yeah. We had a conversation around how do we adopt that into our products? Is it good enough? Is it not? Hmm. You know, how does it compare to you know, GPT 3.5 mm. and GPT 4, not so well for zero, zero shot mm. applications. So for lots of, <laughs> lots of commercial applications, not going to work, but, but, you know, like uh, having, having those conversations and be able to, to get advice. I've gotten some of the best kind of like scaling advice from that group specifically when we were sort of like hitting the limit of what we could do with, with just mm. like GPT 4 token per minute limits yeah I got really good advice in the community have you you know have you tried have you tried essentially have you tried to have you tried distributing your traffic between um, mm. OpenAI and Azure which we ended up going and doing for and that helped us for a while until we then hit the next limit but you know <laughs> it's, it's been it's been incredibly powerful to just be able to have this knowledge base of people mm. to go go and ask very specific questions that are all focusing yeah. on the same specific problems yeah. And I love how it gets very candid because I think whenever people talk about founders, they always expect, especially when you're building out something new, it's always like you have to come from the tone of knowing everything and like, you know, trying to be like, oh, you know, if you're a founder, you just have to figure it out. And it's like, you should always have answers. But when most of my experiences of talking to founders, I love the fact that they are willing to say, hey, I just don't know this. And if there's somebody that I can talk to, I'd love to do it. And as PMs, I think that's what we do every day in our jobs, right? Like we are more open to learning newer information. And I think the more we are curious about how to do something is, is when we get better at it. So for me, it sounds more like the kind of safe space that you can be in where you can get answers to a lot of questions you have at the same time, just use everybody's collective you know, information and like just get super smart people up in a room and it's like just like prodding and asking them questions and like you know figuring out hey could you like help me here and I think it's it all sounds like very inclusive and so heartwarming in the sense that people are willing to spend time and like you know it's a lot of them talk about the fact that people in when you work in tech you just don't have time for anything else and you're just so putting your head down build 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 sort of a thing but I think people are very kind and especially when you are in tech and when you are building out a community, I think people are more kind and more willing to help each other than we think. So that I think is very reflected through the the whole explanation that you just gave about the community. Yeah. I think the other piece, I think, yeah, definitely people are very generous with, with their time and, and wanting to pr provide advice to each other. The other, like, um, the other reality of this is that I think almost every single company in that in 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 that group, I'm sort of looking at them and being like, "Oh, I want them to succeed, so I can use that yeah. product." No, like, yes. <laughs> they're all going to like charge my my company too, right? Like the B two B ones in particular, or even there's there's some some folks building kind of like 
educational tool for kids. I'm kind of like, oh, this is really cool. I, I signed up for some of them for, 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 uh, yeah. for my son. So I yeah. think it's just like a lot of exciting, exciting things being built. So you're just like almost selfishly wanting everyone to see, <laughs> use all of those products. Yeah. 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 I think you just become beta testers of each other's products very organically. And I think there's, I mean, like I've always believed that as a product builder, there's so much joy in being able to just root for somebody, like just be happy about somebody's success in the space and just like kind of not expect anything, but just keep supporting uh, people through their journeys. And I think that's the best form of you know, celebration that you could have. And I think it, it like, I'm so glad that you're part of a community that does that. So yeah, I'm, I'm very happy for you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been incredibly rewarding too. Yeah. And as you say, as you know, as a founder, you just have very, very limited time. So to be able to to do something that just feels great. <laughs> That's been great. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Awesome. So Yana, like I've got one more last question for you, which is as an artist, how do you see this whole talk around generative AI, you know, trying to use tools like mid-journey and getting different sort of artworks out there I know it's all like a form of augmenting your creativity but there are like when I meet people they're like hey Ashwarya you're into art but how do you actually see this are you feeling contentious or or do you think this is really going to help your creativity so there's always buzz around this topic so I would love to pick an artist's brain here and see what you think about this yeah I, I, I love it. I think, you know, I, when, when some of these tools, it's like when, when, when Dolly first launched or didn't even launch, I think I got to be an early tester and I went really deep and just started making lots and lots of art. Um, I know was, I've seen that all the Dolly tweets that you used to put. Yeah, correct. The thing for me was, Around that time, obviously, being a founder, I didn't have a whole lot of time to create art. So this is like mm. a very quick way for me to get some of that creativity out. But and so it made me much more creative at a time when I mm-hmm. wouldn't have time to be creative. And, and so, the, you know, that's, so in that sense, I felt amplified to, to create more art. But over time, I think one thing that I've discovered is that it, it like, I think it's gonna you can use these tools in so many different ways you can you can mm. you can use the tool to create end product like and you know the end product of art like the, the actual art piece you can also use it just as a tool you know for prototyping art like mm. art ideas right you can quickly get at a prototype and then that can ultimately be what you end up painting or not painting because actually you feel like that experiment didn't didn't isn't going in the direction yeah. you want it to go I think it's just the way the way I think about it is really just like when well this all plays into this bigger AI change that's happening in, in when we think about what what is this kind of analogous to specifically for art I think about mm. this being very similar to a camera and when when the camera was introduced because a that created the field of photography so completely different art form right people creating mm. art with with a camera now suddenly people are creating art with various ai tools so there's that mm. but i also think it's gonna the the kind of the other interesting piece of that was how how photography or the camera impacted all the other art forms around that right because prior mm. to that a big p like most most art was was in in realism and what what ended up happening was that 
the artists who who didn't become photographers but continued painting mm. primarily then started doing a lot of abstract art as a different way of expressing their ideas and you know evoking emotions in different ways because realism was not as compelling anymore because you had photography which was much more realistic mm. so i think that's that's going to be the really interesting thing is to see how does right AI push artists to be creative in other ways and essentially create mm. human experiences that AI cannot do, right? Mm. So that there's going to be kind of some sort of counterpoint to that. I mean, I'm really mm. interested to see what that ends up being. That's not going to be as quick of a change, but we'll probably yeah. end up that what that is eventually. Yeah, like sort of rekindle the imaginative pieces and uh, just, I mean, like, I wouldn't be surprised if there's like a newer medium or a newer form of expressing ideas and thoughts. And then there's like a whole uh, category of uh, things that, that would just come through the medium. So uh, I think that part is definitely exciting, like you said. And to me, I think what is also equally fascinating is how when photography was introduced and when uh, anything that was just put out as a piece of uh, creativity, there was always this tackling issue on copyright and, and the way that who who does this art belong to? And as an artist, I think people always took pride in saying, hey, I did that piece and you know, it's, it's my work and it's, it's my sort of creativity. So now I'm more excited to see that as much as like one part of it is using tools like uh, DALI or, or Midjourney and most of the other visual uh, creative tools to just flesh out our ideas. Sometimes you also wonder if I'm able to do like a you know piece of art, like a comic book or a, a totally new painting, what does copywriting look like and who does it belong to? And when I also saw that companies like Shutterstock is actually entering into deals with OpenAI and you know they're really not focusing much on the whole who does this copyright belong to because that's what photography business was all about through through the day it was always like attributing it back to the uh, photographer so I think that part is very exciting for me as an artist to see that it's just leveraging and augmenting creativity uh, at the same time it's also opening room to a totally different uh, idea about uh, a nameless and an anonymous sort of a thing for creativity so yeah yeah the, the interesting thing is that the while we are seeing a big change there's Copyright law already has something really good framework for dealing with all of this, which is fair use mm. that applies broadly to art where you're not strictly, if when you're not taking one painting and copying it exactly, uh, but you are creating your own expression of that because, you know, good artists steal or whatever, right? Like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But, but ultimately, like, as long as you're not actually stealing, but you are, you are experiencing it in, 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 in expressing it with something else, but inspired by the mm. first thing, people know that there is this concept of fair use that applies to those situations. Mm. That's like someone who created one piece can't stifle all the other creativity down, down the road. Right. So, I just I think that the the legal framework actually is fine dealing with what yeah. what, what everything like all of this development. I think it's kind of just like there's always going to be incumbents who will not like the the future. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, definitely, and I think it it it's an altogether new uh, form of expression, and uh, whereas like. A lot of people who would otherwise go with very traditional forms of art or sticking to certain mediums would definitely go and explore this. So uh, I think that part seems like an interesting path to follow by. 
yeah, very, yeah. I'm excited to, to see where, where it all leads <laughs> ultimately. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Yana. It was great talking to you about uh, so many aspects of product and foundership and art. And I think uh, to me, just to summarize all of these, it's like, I, I guess both of us are so excited to see how PMs and, and product builders would uh, look up at newer technologies, find out ways that would still help them build stuff with purpose for their customers and at the end of the day find so much joy and fun with what they do so i'm very excited for what you've been doing with craftful and just rooting for you as i always do so yeah all the best and thank you, thank you so much for being here thank you so much for having me i really really enjoyed this conversation and yeah really really excited also really excited for the series thank you so much for doing it <laughs> thank you thank you